But uh, we're in the series here that we've been calling Cancel Culture, uh, and, uh, and we, we really, I, I chose this because uh, I, I just kind of felt like God was really uh, speaking to me uh, through uh, all, all the, the, some of the craziness that we see around in the world, and even some of the craziness we see in the world that we end up partaking in, because we dip, in, dip our toes into the crazy pool every once in a while, okay, uh, I, I myself included, and uh, you know, cancel culture uh, for for many, w- we might think we hear the term, the phrase cancel culture, and we think that this is like a new thing, like a new phenomena, something that's just relatively recent with the dawn of social media or something like that. But I, I want to let you know that it's actually not. Cancel culture has been around for a very, very long time. In fact, uh, some of you may not know this, but did you know that back in the fifth century in ancient Greece? Uh, that they used to practice ostracism, where basically, uh, if you, uh, th- if there's enough people in your city, if they didn't like you, they could literally vote you out of the town, right? It was democracy at its best. A- and so, it, it, and by the way, when you got voted out, it wasn't like just for a night. You got voted out for 10 years, okay? So when you got canceled, you were canceled for 10 years, and and just so you know, it was a it was a somewhat fair process. At least they tried to make where they would uh, basically have broken pieces of clay pot that they would turn in. That you would write the name of whoever you're kicking off the island. You know what I mean? And, and you would you would turn that in. And, and it took a minimum of six thousand votes uh, to get you kicked out. Six thousand votes. Okay. So some of you should be happy we don't do that right around now because there's probably we'd be probably have a lot less people in our communities if it just took six thousand people uh, to get people kicked out. You you wouldn't want you were voted out, by the way, you had 10 days, and, and the penalty, there's a pretty stiff penalty if you didn't get out. They'd kill you if not. So it's 10 days, you're, you're out, or, or we're going to come get you. Uh, but cancel, cancel culture has been around for a while. It's, it's happened in the 40s and 50s in Hollywood with the blacklist, and uh, if you know anything about this time, uh, there was a rising fear uh, over communism. And so basically there's so many actors and writers and directors and, and there's so many people that were involved in, in, in uh, that industry uh, that were basically made unhirable because of this. They, they couldn't find a job anywhere they went. And, uh, and it's interesting that kind of looking back now, we see that not only was this a, a, an issue where people thought it was like a, a, a you know, anti-communist movement, really, but really a lot of people actually use this as a part of cancel culture to help discriminate against Jewish people. And so we see that this is something that's been in our culture for a very, very long time. Some of you maybe have never heard of Ignaz Semmelweis, okay? Don't ask me to say it again, okay? Ignaz Semmelweis, all right? And if you, you, you maybe you've never heard of this person, but th- the problem is, is we probably should have because this guy, believe it or not, has saved probably millions of lives up to this point because he was the doctor back in the 1840s who came up with this revolutionary idea. You know what his revolutionary idea was in the 1840s? His revolutionary idea was this. If doctors washed their hands, people, when they did surgeries, wouldn't get as sick and they wouldn't die. That's revolutionary, isn't it? And we are like sitting here going, wait a second, what? That was a controversial thing? Yes, in fact, 
uh, Dr. Semmelweis, he actually didn't have a very good life after this because he was ostracized by the community, that by the medical community around him that were thinking that he could be absolutely crazy. He was loony for thinking that there could be these small things called germs that could be on people's hands that could make you sick and, and that could kill you. And, and so he actually, uh, his life didn't end up very well. He end up ended up in a mental asylum and he died, you guessed it, by infection. <laughs> I was going to say, like, uh, and, and so these are people, uh, there are people throughout history that have been part of cancel culture, some on the on the maybe the good side, some on the negative side. And, and, and so we look at this, and I, I know that uh, you know that cancel culture really comes from a desire, doesn't it, for us to change uh, something in society, whether it's in a business or in the arts or in uh, the economy. Uh, but but here's the issue, and it, listen, if you're a, a Christian, if you serve Jesus Christ, the real question that we should be asking is how uh, how do we change ourselves inside? What, what are we asking ourselves about how we're supposed to change personally? Because sometimes we want to cancel things around us. And listen, I'm 100% guilty of this, where I see things around that are the, the wrong things that I want to uh, fight the injustice about. But there's so many things that are inside of myself that I see that I, I, I kind of want to sweep under the rug. I want to maybe ignore a little bit. Now, now, here's the question. I need some participation because I want to make sure you're hanging with me, okay, because you want me to say Ignaz Semmelweis again, okay? Uh, but, but here's what I have a question for you, okay? Uh, how many of us, like, you would say if somebody were to ask you, if you, you like, do you have a goal of personal growth? Like, do you have a goal where you, like, want to, like, become better? Like, whether it's it, it, from a Christian mindset, you want to become more like Jesus, or even if it's just from a general mindset, like, you want to be more loving and caring and compassionate, and you want to grow as a person. How many people would say that they, they want to grow as a person? Like, th that's you. Okay, that's good. There's probably a couple of you not participating with me right now, but that's, that's all right. I think most of us in here would say that. Now, here's another question, okay? How many of us would also, on the same time we say we want to grow, how many of us would also say, I, Pastor Chris, I don't like change. Like, change is not my thing. Like, I don't, like, I, I want to get up. I want to have the same routine. I want to do the same thing. I want to be home. I want to go to bed at the same time. Like, I, I want some, some consistency to my life, some rhythm. I'm not a big fan of change. So here's the question then for us. How, how do we grow, right, which is basically change? Because how many of you know uh, if you're driving by a cornfield or soybean field right now, uh, and you see uh, what that corn that was this tall is now this tall. What happened? It grew and it changed. It's amazing. I know. It's awesome. How do we go, though? Uh, how do we go from a person who wants to grow to change to uh, the fact that at the same time, we don't want to change? We don't want to grow. We want everything to stay the same. We want, we, we, we want consistency. In fact, uh, I won't lie to you, this uh, graduation season has been one a rough one for me because uh, it reminds me continuously of how old I'm getting and how these kids that were always this big in my mind are now this big. They're bigger than me. They grow better facial hair than I do. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like one of those things, like, what is going on? So the question then is, is what are some things that we know we need in our lives, that you need in your life, I need in my life, 
in order for us to actually achieve some sort of sense of growth, so that in this sense of cancel culture, like how can we kind of cancel some things out in our own lives, and how do we make sure that we're actually trying to live the life that Jesus wants us to live? So listen, I want to share a few things with you today. If you have uh, a black uh, Discover uh, notebook, I encourage you to get that out. If you've got your Bible, you can get it out and follow along with us. And uh, I, I just want to give you a couple points here. Uh, these were nothing that I came up with, but I, I, I came across these a few years ago, and they have dramatically changed the, the way that I see the world and the way that I try to lead both in my family, the way I try to lead in the church. Uh, they've, they've shaped really uh, some of the lens uh, of the relationships that I have, a and because ultimately when it comes down to it, uh, the, the real way I think that we're going to grow and we're going to change is going to happen through the relationships that we have, okay? Both the relationship you have with God through the Holy Spirit, the relationship you have with your church family, the relationship you have with your, your, uh, your family that you live with, the ones that you hang out with and you do life with. <coughs> These are all the things, though, that are going to help shape us. So what are a few key elements here that we need to make sure that we're actually, thank you. I, I didn't even really get a chance to sing that much because I was playing. I'm still a little bit, a little, little bit hoarse today. But uh, look, so here we go. The first one is, is this, is known, okay? Everybody, you and I, everybody that's ever lived on this planet ultimately has a goal that they want to be known, right? They want to be known. They want to be able to basically do life with someone, Right. And, and we see around all around us in society that when people aren't known, that there's some negative consequences, the side effects to not being known. It, it, there, when we're not known, it, it doesn't necessarily lead to the best us. And so this is where we actually get up close and personal with somebody, somebody that actually spends some time with us. We're going to take a look today uh, as uh, today is Pentecost Sunday. Right. And so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about how Jesus's relationship with his disciples, how, how did that help shape them and kind of lead them to be where they are? Because uh, today we actually celebrate the fact that uh, when, after Jesus was crucified on Easter, that he ascended, and he recently would have ascended, and now on Pentecost Sunday we celebrate the fact that in the beginning of Acts, this is when the church comes together and the, and the Holy Spirit falls on them and basically ignites what is the beginning of the church, right? So if that's the case, right? How, how do we do this? And we know that Jesus knew the disciples. He, like, listen, he knew them. Like, they knew each other intimately. Like, they knew each other to the point to where they could probably, like, fr from not that far away, they could have some of the disciples could talk in, and they, they could call each other out with who was who because they spent so much time together. They knew that Peter didn't like broccoli, right? And they knew that John always was a picky eater, that, like, he only wanted chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese, right? <laughs> like, they, they knew things about each other that not everybody did because, you know why? Because they, they knew each other because one of the things that happened is they spent time over the term of around three years where they were they lived life together and they were vulnerable with one another and vulnerability is really the key to allowing somebody to know you just like if you go on a first date right there's first date you and then there's real you first date you is all put together not crazy at all and you've got everything a-okay you know it's probably not to like sick date you that you're like okay maybe this is not like the picture that was fully being painted for me at the beginning you know like, because we know that at the beginning, you're not going to be vulnerable. We put the walls up, and we want people just to see what we want them to see. 
So what, what we see here is in John 10, and we're going to practice a little exercise here. John 10, uh, we're going to read this scripture, 14 and 15, and I'm going to stop. And wherever I stop, I want you to fill in the word where I stop at, okay? All right, everybody got me? You with me? All right, uh, online, you can say it too. You can scream it because nobody can hear you, but you're, you're good for everybody online. Here we go, John 10, 14 and 15. Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep, they know me. Just as the Father, he knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for my sheep. Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to have, have a growing relationship, guess what you have to do? You have to know me, and I have to know you. We have to get vulnerable with one another. We have to allow ourselves to have this sense of knowing who we truly are. The second one, I think, that is absolutely key, it's known, then we see the second one is loved. Loved, because everybody, everybody wants to be loved. But here's the problem, and this is uh, one of the issues I have with the English language versus many others, is that the English language will put, like, one word that can have, like, 75 meanings, right? So many other cultures, especially, uh, in, like, in Greek, we, we learn that there's so many different words for love. But in the English language, love is just love. I love my wife, and I also love tacos. Not the same, okay? So please don't make sure that we're understanding that. She's on the front row, right? But we have to understand what true love is. And so what really what's happening here is, is Jesus is wanting to challenge us to understand, or at least to attempt to understand, God's unconditional love. Now, the problem is, is we, we say unconditional love, and we think we know what that is, but the real root of the issue here is it's hard because we've never experienced unconditional love before. We haven't. Because, guess what? When we do negative things, even the people that l say they love us, it shapes the way they look at us. God says, guess what? I've already known all the bad stuff you've ever done, and I still love you. I love you, in fact, more than you could ever fathom, imagine, or know. So we, we've never fully been able to experience what this unconditional love looks like, the embodiment of his love. And then Jesus says, when you understand this love, then we can make it tangible, and we can make it so that we can receive his love, and we can turn out and, and love others because of that. If not, the problem is, is we're only loving out of ourselves. And now, I don't know if you are aware of this, but I know that when I love just out of myself, that the bucket that of which I'm pouring out of, it's real shallow. It is real shallow. Like, it's so shallow that once my kids come up and ask me the same question like four times, I'm about ready to go off. <laughs> right? You're like, did you not hear the answer I said the other 75 times we had this conversation? You know what I mean? But I love you. You're my, you're my little precious baby child. Like, I just, it's the greatest thing ever. You know why, though? Because guess what? Because I can't love out of myself. I got to deal with the unconditional love that the Father offers. We have to work through that. Matthew 22, 22 39, Jesus actually says that guess what you got to do? You got to love your neighbor as yourself. You got to love them. You got to love them, love them, love them. And the third one in here, let me tell you, this is where I personally struggle, okay? I personally struggle with this one, and that's challenged. See, in order to grow in a relationship, we have to have three practical things working together. We have to be known. 
Like, we have to be vulnerable with each other. We have to actually experience life together. We have to love one another deeply, and, and, and we have to be willing to look past the faults and, and the, and the uh, problems that we have sometimes where, where we allow the, the, the mostness of ourselves. We call it, in, you know, if you were grew up in church, you would call that the flesh, the fleshly the di- desires. You know what I mean? When we allow all that stuff inside of us come out and be us, right? Right? We got to love past that. But the third one is we have to challenge we have to be challenged and see what is challenge. This is why we don't like challenge. This is why I don't like challenge anyway. I don't like challenge because challenge basically is encouraging someone beyond their current comfort level. The problem with that is, is you know why I like my comfort level? Because it's comfortable. Like, it's comfortable. It's cozy. It's warm. It's great. Like yesterday, uh, I had the opportunity. I could have done work around the house, but you know what? I was on my couch, and it was comfortable. It was so comfortable, me and the couch, and the couch with me, and we just had a great relationship yesterday. It was incredible, right? It was, but guess what? Here's the thing. That's not a challenge. That's not a challenge. In fact, in Hebrews, Listen, the church understood what it was. The early church understood what it was to be challenged. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says this. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And so you say, well, well how do we do that? Well, he wa- they want to tell you. But we have to encourage one another whenever we feel like it, whenever it's convenient. No, no, we have to encourage one another daily as long as it's called What? Today, today, it says, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And it says in verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. If we're going to do this thing with Jesus, then we got to do it to the very end. We have to be willing to grow and to challenge one another, but boy, I can tell you right now, this does not happen in most relationships, because in most relationships, you only have one, maybe two of these things that are happening, and so the problem is, you say, Pastor Chris, well, what happens when we don't experience all three of these? Well, we're going to go through them really quickly here. Here's what we find out. We find out when only two, so say someone is known, they're known and they're challenged, but they're not loved. The problem is, is they take on a very, like, legalistic spirit. In other words, uh, uh, it's a very works-oriented relationship. See, some of you have this relationship. You've had this relationship with an employer in the past. They knew you. They knew your personality trait. They knew where you were on your personality scale and the spectrum of things. And they challenged you to do work, but you just showed up and you did it, and that was it. That was the end of the relationship. The, the mentality here, it, it, especially when we apply this to our walk with God, is that uh, God or the church is kind of something we have to do, and, and it ties into our relationship of who we are with God. In other words, we think, uh, and, and we, we try to watch this with our GO Team people, right, because our GO Team members here at the church, I'm gonna, I want to make sure that if you're part of the GO Team, that you understand that you serving at Discover Church is not your relationship with God. God's, your relationship with God has to be so much deeper and so much more. So It's so much fuller than anything that we can compare to that. The problem is, is that many people, when they experience this, they, they have this, maybe this thought, this mentality, this feeling behind it that says, I'm loved because I produce. Because I can do this, this is why they love this. You probably have people in your family that have this mentality, this emotion that says, you know, you only deal with me because 
of what you see in me, but you don't really love me for who I am. See, if we look in Scripture, we see that Judas actually has this. In, in John 12, 5, Judas actually has this moment where after perfume's broken at, on Jesus' feet, and we watch these, and, and, and he's going through this, and, and, and Judas all of a sudden puffs up a little bit. And Judas says, well, this could have been used for a whole year's salary. Like, what, what's going on here? Like, why are we doing this? And guess what? Ju- Judas didn't understand the love. He was looking at it from this, like, legalistic do's and don'ts mindset. But what about when somebody is loved and challenged, but they're not known? Well, when you're loved and challenged and not known, you, it's easy to take on a discouraged spirit. It's easy to, for us to, to see, only kind of feel like we're just this cog in a wheel. Like, it's just this one of those things where we're easily replaceable and we're easily discouraged. People that experience this very often are the ones who are there one minute, and then, poof, they're gone the next. Because they, guess what? Nobody cares. They might, they say they love me, but they don't really know me. They don't know the trouble, the, the heartache, and the, the things that I'm walking through right now. They're not here with me. And then the last one here is this, is when someone is known and loved but not challenged, this is what we see, especially in a canceled culture, is we take on an offended spirit. Can you believe that they dare challenge me to do this? Can you imagine? Can you understand? Because w- when, we, when we have the known and the love but not the challenge, we can feel believed in and encouraged all the time. But the second uh, that someone wants to kind of take a relationship in a deeper level, in other words, when it becomes more uh, than just like a hanging out and having coffee and just talking about the weather and the generic stuff, then all of a sudden we realize that, guess what? These people are trying to challenge me and stretch me and grow me. I wanted to have a stretch Armstrong up here, but uh, alas, my children are not that young anymore, so I don't have one. And, and you remember stretch Armstrong? You take it, you stretch him out, right? You know what happens, though, if you leave stretch Armstrong sitting around for a whole lot of time, you never do nothing with him, and then you try to stretch him out, you know what happens? That joker will crack. He starts, like, all, all of a sudden, whatever that stretching material he's made out of, it, 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 it can't do it. You know why? Because he's so used to staying in the same position all the time. We get challenged. And one of the best examples I think we see of this is in the book of John. In John, uh, towards the end, we see that Jesus feeds the 5,000, and we love Jesus feeding the 5,000. We see that uh, the opportunity happens here where Jesus is teaching. He walks on water. It's awesome. It's incredible. The disciples are like, yeah, we're going to go conquer the world. This is incredible. And then Jesus, Jesus actually by verse 60, it's, you see that, that Jesus is trying to walk people into a, a known. He wants to know who they are. He wants to do life with them. He wants to. Uh, uh, see that that he loves them, but then guess what he starts to switch to? He switches to a challenge mode. He wants to challenge the disciples. And in verse 60, it says, on hearing it, many of the disciples, they said, whoo, boy, this is a hard teaching. They asked themselves, who can accept this? And I love it because Jesus is aware of the situation. He's aware, and as Jesus is aware of this, Jesus looks to them and says, oh, I'm sorry, does this offend you? Jesus is saying, oh, I'm sorry, you wanted to stay the same? You thought you were going to follow me, and you were going to be the same person today that you were yesterday and the next day and the next day? No, come on, that is not how this works. By verse 66, you see that, guess what? 
uh, from this time, it says that many disciples, people that were following him, people that thought, Jesus, you're my ride or die. Let's go. Come on, we're in this to the end. They say, guess what, man? We can't hang with you no more. We're going to go back home, and we're going to plant crops. And, and you, you know, i got to go see my, my kids. And, and Jesus, this is too hard. We can't do this. So today, as we're getting ready to close here, I, I just wanted to take a second and kind of wrap up with something because listen june is a really uh big and kind of busy month for us here uh we're going to get ready to to celebrate uh, uh our graduates next week and we're going to have a good time but you know one of the things that uh me and amy were talking about and we realized that i, I just really don't feel like I, i've done a very good job at and so so this is a fail when it comes to pastoring and leading people is that we haven't really like we talk about water baptism family uh, dedications and these things, but we, we there's, I realize that there's so many people you, you maybe don't know why. Why do we do this? If we're going to be known, if we're going to experience love, and if we're going to be challenged, then what, what do we do? How do we, how do we grow through this? And so I, I just want to take a few moments here as we uh, wrap up today to really talk with you about water baptism and what that means and to kind of unpack that for maybe because I know depending on your church culture, whether you grew up not in church at all or maybe you grew up in a church that views baptism in a very uh, different manner, then you maybe don't understand what we're talking about when we talk about water baptism. Because some of you, you probably went to a, a church where, uh, you know, when you were a baby, they, they came up and they had some water and they sprinkled it on your forehead. They called it baptism. And then you thought that that's it. That's baptism. Well, listen, for us, here's I want to give you kind of the breakdown and the difference between uh, a family or baby dedication and water baptism to, to kind of uh, allow you to understand uh, a little bit about where kind of I see the difference between the two. So the first one I would say is this. When we comes to uh, a family dedication or baby dedication, right, this is where you as a family, if you've got children, if you've got grandchildren, uh, you as a family are saying, you know what, listen, we want to make kind of a pro public proclamation that we as the family are going to make sure that we raise our children in a godly manner. We're going to do the best we can. We know we're not perfect parents because, listen, we're not trying to hold anybody to the level of perfection. But you say, guess what? I, I, we want to do the best we can. And you say that, guess what? We're going to do this in front of people. We're going to come up and we're going to uh, make a commitment before God because, guess what? This is uh, We recognize that this is a place where God and people meet. And so we're going to stand before people and commit to raise our children before Christ. And here's the what I, what I love, what I personally love about uh, – family dedications or, or, or child dedications, right? What I personally love about it is it's you as a family making this public proclamation, but guess what? We as the church stand with you and stand behind you and say, guess what? We recognize what you're trying to do, and we are committing right now as the body of Christ that we're going to stand with you. We're going to walk with you all the way through. Guess what? When your kids are sick, we're going to be there. Guess what? When your kids are acting a fool, and they will act a fool, okay? I've got two. I can attest to that. Guess what? It's okay. We're going to be there with you. We're going to support you and love you all the way through it. And, and, and so it's, that's, that's, that, that's that. So when we get to wa water baptism, though, water baptism really is the opportunity for us to have an outward symbol. And TJ, if you want to come up here with me, uh, water baptism is this outward symbol of the inward work that God is doing in our lives. Because how many of you can recognize that it, maybe if you were a, a child or if you've experienced this with, with, with a child where you have water, a baptism for a child when they sprinkle the water, uh, that child at that point hasn't really made a commitment, right, to live for Christ. 
But what we recognize is that at some point in our lives, each of us, every man and every woman, we have to make the decision to serve and to follow God. So water baptism is this outward symbol that God is doing something inwardly in our lives. And you say, Pastor Curtis, well, why is it important? Well, first off, it's important because Jesus told us to. <laughs> That's always a good start. But listen, outward symbols are everywhere. Some of you got outward symbols in the way of, of, of a, a deer head hanging on the wall of your house. That's, what is that an outward symbol of? Believe it or not, I walked in the woods and I got that thing. For some of you, you you're like me and you have outward symbols because you have a logo of a sports team on your car or around the tag plate of your car. For some of you, you have outward symbols because you have a, a tattoo of some incredible moment or maybe it was a stupid moment in your life where you would decided to make that decision. We have outward symbols like diplomas that hang on our walls. We have outward symbols like when we have the family picture. You walk in, by the way, you don't realize it, okay? If you have family picture, pictures hung in your home, you probably just thought that was so you remember what your family looked like. No, that's not what it's for. You know what the family picture is there for? It's an outward symbol that says, believe it or not, at that moment in time, all of my kids stood still. They had their eyes open and they smiled all together. It was so random and crazy we had to document it with a photo. We have proof that it happened. Water baptism, though, it's an outward symbol established by Jesus. He said, what should we do? We should repent and be baptized. We see this pattern all through the New Testament, that every time someone would become a new believer, that they would accept Jesus, they would, get, they would be water baptized, and it was a proclamation of what God was doing in their life. Mark 16, 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not will be condemned. It says in Matthew 28, 19, therefore, what should we do? We should go and make disciples of all nations. This is one we know, but we forget that it says baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, I recognize that every single week that we gather, every single week, believe it or not, you might not always recognize this, but every single week God is doing something in the lives of his people. I want to let you know that every week we gather and God is doing something in the lives of his people, that has absolutely nothing to do with me. I promise you, I'm not that special. I'm not that good. I don't know, I'm not even that good of a preacher. It has nothing to do with me. You know what it has to do with? It has to do with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and the fact that when he ascended to heaven, we celebrate today that God allowed the Holy Spirit to come down and empower his people, his sons and his daughters, and we say that today that that is our opportunity to make those steps. Baptism symbolizes that that old is gone and that all things become new. So listen, we recognize today, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone's in, anyone is in, is in Christ, they are a new creation. Something new has come. The old is gone. So today, I, I just want to ask and pray. I, I, I really debated, I won't lie to you, I debated having the tub up here, but I knew you're all going to be like, but my hair and my, I don't have a towel, and you, I knew you're going to throw, throw a fit. 
So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Before you leave today, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart because maybe you've never experienced water baptism, I just want to challenge you. Are you ready? We talked about known, love, and challenge. I want to challenge you. Are you ready? Are you ready to take that step? Are you ready instead of just attending to say that, guess what? No, I am going to be an ambassador for Christ. It's going to be a public thing for me that I'm not going to hide behind it. And yeah, you might share a little bit on social media and it seems seems cool. But are you willing to take that next step? Listen, before you leave today, I want to encourage you. Make sure you see me, Amy. You can text, call, email. Lord, we have so many ways of you getting a hold of us. You can almost send smoke signals up and we'll see it. But listen, we can't do it without God. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you, and would you stand with me this morning? We've talked today about being known. I recognize that in this place, there's probably some people that you don't feel very known. You probably feel like, yeah, you, you kind of have some people in your life, but that nobody knows what's going on in your life, but that's because you kind of built this wall around you. And you felt that it feels real safe to stand behind that wall because you don't have to let anyone see your vulnerability. You don't have to let anybody peek behind the curtain. Today, that might be your first step. I also recognize that in this room, there's probably some people that they don't feel loved. You might have people that you live with in your house. You might have people that you uh, hang out with on weekends, but you just don't really know if they love you or if they just like you because you're a fun person or if because you're just this, this personality that's easy to get along with, so they just kind of, they're there with you, but you don't really know that you feel loved. And I also recognize that there's some people in this room that when, it's, when it comes to challenge, you are like me, and you do not like being challenged. Because when we're challenged, it stretches us beyond our comfort zone. It takes us to places sometimes we don't want to go. Can I tell you today that you and I, we cannot grow in our relationship with God. We cannot grow in our relationships with our spouses. We can't grow in our relationship with our children or our close friends or our church family if we're not willing to have all of these three things at play and working in our lives. Listen, I, I'm going to pray over you, and I, I just want to ask if you would. I, I guarantee you, 100%, you struggle in one of those three areas. You struggle in feeling known, loved, or challenged. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And how appropriate is it on Pentecost Sunday that we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come speak into your heart, to speak into your mind, to not allow the enemy to want to, like, say some, some negative things into your mind right now, to say, oh, this isn't true, this isn't real, you'll never change, you'll never be good enough, you'll never be able to, to, to do the things that God's called you to do. You're never going to have that happen with you. And today we, we, we declare, we proclaim, Lord, for you to have your way in our lives. If you would, would you close your eyes? Heavenly Father, we just pray over every son and daughter that is in this place. 
Lord, from the oldest to the youngest, Father God, Lord, we recognize that you've called us to grow, to be bold, Father God, to, to declare our faith. But Lord, we know that sometimes it's not easy. And today I pray, Father God, that you would allow us, Lord, to know you, to be vulnerable before you today. Lord God, to understand, to at least make an attempt to understand the depth of your unconditional love, Father God, that does not waver based off of how we do in any particular day, what our attitude is. And Lord God, that you will help spur us and challenge us in new ways that are uncomfortable, that are probably a little scary. And Father God, today we we declare today that we are your servants. Lord God, we know that just as we talked about when, when Jesus threw down the hard teaching with the disciples, that many of them turned away, Father God, we pray that, Lord God, we will be drawn closer to you this morning, that we're not going to turn away. Father, we 